Welcome to Still Unbelievable, a podcast by Reason Press, where we examine religious claims, especially those made by Christians, and we regularly respond to items that are featured on the podcast, Unbelievable. We embrace dialogue, but as sceptical former believers, we will also criticise unfounded claims and unsupported beliefs. everybody and welcome to an episode of Still Unbelievable. This time it's Matthew on his own in the chair. Nobody here to assist me today. For those of you who listen to the Skeptics and Speakers podcast, I was on that podcast with David, the regular host there with a couple of guests who, uh, who, whose names may be familiar, Sarah and David, the Graceful Atheist. They So the four of us were over on Skeptics and Seekers earlier this week, uh, end of last week. And we were talking about why uh, people leave the church, why there are atheists like myself and the other names I mentioned who have given up on Christianity have and have gone full heathen. So we did a couple of hours of uh, episodes on that, uh, if you want to know what it was that I said and the conversations that we had, because those conversations will be referenced in this episode. Go over to the Skeptics and speakers podcasts and listen to those and from that episode i have got on board with me here teddy welcome teddy to still unbelievable hi there how are you thank Hi. you for having me that's fine now teddy you and i have uh, interacted before we did an episode i think on skeptics and seekers uh, a month or a couple of months ago we were and uh, miracles came up in in that conversation among yes a few other things it, it got a bit heated and feisty if i if i remember correctly there was a a lot of excitement uh, we're a feisty bunch but you know would we have it any other way well not, not everybody <laughs> likes it that way and um, my anticipation is this one will be a, a much much more uh, straight laced in english episode shall we say yes and uh, we also interact uh, textually on the skeptics and seekers discuss boards and the unbelievable boards and we've had some some feisty conversations on on there too and i'll put my hand up and come straight out with admission i have i don't know the best way to describe it shall i just say i've been a little bit unkind to you at, on on occasions calling you a liar on multiple occasions which you've uh, picked me up on and uh possibly other things so i want to lay all of that to one side i want to own what I've done I don't want to hide from it but at the same time I don't want to repeat any of that for this episode so this is going to be a better behaved episode and I hope a more enjoyable listen to those who don't like the feistiness so again welcome to my podcast thank and you you had some specific feedback from the conversation that I had with David and the gang about people who leave the faith so I guess the only thing to do is say shoot Let, thank let's you where we go and you know and the reason why i've been wanting to have a conversation like this for for quite a while because sometimes the back and forth on the internet people misread tone or um just the nature of communication by way of email you know being on a board it it is it largely cuts to the chase and 
uh, a lot of nuance is missed out. And so I, I think that uh, we're going to have a much better time communicating today. And so I'm, I'm really glad of that. Uh, and I, also, I, I agree. And I also want to say, um, I think that that, that episode uh, that we're referencing to was extremely important and really quite priceless. But I want to get further into it because I think that there is a lot more gold to mine for in terms of for Christians trying to retain the members of the flock. And one of the things that we had talked about uh, just in our emails to each other prior to being on the show today is you had mentioned that you felt that doubt is a feature of Christianity and that pastors should embrace and acknowledge that fact. And I agree with you 100%. Uh, Nobody can have 100% confidence that God exists. If that, if that person does, or if a person does, they're, they're deluded. And I'm sure I won't get any arguments from you on that. So there is that element of faith. There also is an element of faith in thinking that there is no God. And so these doubts, uh, the Pope, for goodness sakes, has talked about how he has had doubts. Mother Teresa went for many, many years with doubts. And so doubts uh, shouldn't be hidden and buried under the covers. They should have the light of day because sunlight is, as they say, the best disinfectant for, yeah. for doubts. Um, yes, th thank you for that. And I would probably, just to pick up on a couple of your, your points, I would say that when I was a Christian, well, certainly for many of the years that I was a Christian, I would say that uh, I'm, I'm fairly sure I would have said I had 100% certainty that there was a God. Mm -hmm. uh, obviously, that wasn't true for the entirety of my Christian walk, because at some point in that, doubts did set in. And after a while, I, I walked away. So at some point, that certainty would have dropped uh, below 100%. But I reckon um, there were a good few years there where I would have confidently said I had a 100% certainty. But yes, I, I want to echo the whole, yeah, doubt is important. In fact, I would go even further than that. I would say if anyone is is going to uh, um, claim claim a position as, as truth or, or as fact, then not only should uh, there should be some doubt in that, but that position should be actively questioned and challenged, uh, on sure. the, certainly on a periodic basis, if not constantly. And, you know, everything, uh, many of the scholars and pastors they uh, that I have heard and listened to um, don't come at Christianity from the perspective of blind faith. Many people would advocate that um, that there is a lot of evidence to support a belief in, in the Christian God. And so I certainly don't approach it from blind faith. I, uh, perhaps when I was a child, I did, but, 
you know, it didn't take too long before, you know, you start thinking and you, you have doubts enter your mind and you listen. And when I was uh, a child, I hadn't heard anything different. I just kind of knew, well, maybe there's a God, maybe there isn't a God, but I didn't know any of the more sophisticated arguments for or against God's existence. But, you know, as we get older, uh, many of us start getting exposed to different ideas and those can have an impact. And one of the things that concerns me is that sometimes Christians, uh, you know, they have their, their belief set and then they start hearing uh, counter arguments and then that blows up their whole worldview and then they just stop right there mm -hmm. and don't try to dig further. And I will say, um, I will freely admit in my discussions with atheists uh, on, a, on a regular basis now, which has been, I guess, since about mid-September of last year, you all have presented a great many uh, challenges. And every time I hear these challenges, I don't, I don't duck my head under the covers. I don't close my eyes and plug my ears up. You know what I do? I immediately go and start researching them. And, uh, and I will say the, the toughest critic that I have found uh, in terms of arguments that I could see would be extremely compelling to Christians that are on the fence or kind of have one foot already out the door of Christianity are many of the arguments that Bart Ehrman uh, makes and in terms of uh, inconsistencies in the Bible and some of these inconsistencies that he argues about when you start digging further and you hear uh, people giving a good counter argument, you know, they're not always what Ehrman cracks them up to be. But all I can say is regardless of what, you know, side one is on, it's important to constantly challenge one's beliefs until one thinks that one has arrived at the truth. And even once one thinks that one's arrived at the truth, if you start hearing good arguments against what you think is true, then it's important to investigate those to be sure that you have or, you know, is be as sure as we can be that we have arrived at the truth. And so when I've heard, you know, there's been a whole bunch of arguments that have been made. Um, and I investigated it. I don't, I, I leave no stone unturned. And uh, I've been doing my best just within the time that I have in a, in a given day when I have some free time to look into those. And so, um, but to share with you, I, I have found that even with the, the toughest arguments, I, when I still dig deep enough, I still honestly 
um, come away still seeing that Christianity is the truth. And, uh, and so I just want to share that. I think it's important to just uh, always keep digging and being open to changing one's mind or, you know, facing the, those real challenges that others present. So I don't have a problem. I think it's important that people challenge each other's mindsets. And, you know, sometimes it gets bare knuckle, just, you know, we all get excited. We all get excited. And uh, because we're all very passionate about this and, you know, if one's going to be passionate about anything, I mean, what's more important than religion and politics? I mean, that's about life. So to me, it's, it's the oddball that's not passionate about uh, such subjects. And there are a lot of oddballs out there, but uh, I, I think, um, I think it's great that we all are very much interested and in, in this subject and that we challenge each other with, with these ideas. Cool. Yes. Challenge is always a great thing. It's uh, the challenge isn't the issue. It's how, how we respond mm-hmm. uh, and to, to the challenge that that's what defines us. Mm-hmm. So there's um, a, couple of things I want to go back to. I think the context of of what I said about doubt, and for those who want to go back and listen to what I said, it's in the it's in the part two episode where, that we did over on Skeptics and Seekers, where we talk about what can people in the church do to to get get us back into the church, if if that's even possible. And I think I told the story of uh, somebody who. Uh, or told the story of somebody I know who when questioning uh, his doubts or taking his doubts to uh, to his church leaders the the response was well well, don't read those things that are are giving you doubts and uh, I don't think that's uh, I don't think that's a good response to doubt I, I think doubt should be embraced not buried because if you if you bury them they'll only come back again and I think it's it's um disingenuous of senior leaders to give that kind of advice to people who are coming to them with a with a concern because if someone's if you're a church leader and someone's coming to you with a concern about about doubts it means they're taking them very seriously and they're causing them problems so mm-hmm. to, to write them off and just say don't don't look at that material that's causing you doubts that's not really going to achieve much that's not doing anything to address uh, what's going on so that was really the context of the the comments that I that, that I said because yeah I I don't think that is a an appropriate way to to respond to to doubts and not uh, only that it's like banning a book then you're yeah. gonna you know book sales are gonna go up you're gonna draw that person in like a moth to the flame to reading the uh, <laughs> the anti-religious yeah. material yeah. so uh, I I couldn't agree more with you that um, it is just uh, very, very uh, reckless, in my opinion, and just a, just a overall bad idea for, for religious leaders, for anybody, for parents, just anyone to uh, try to suppress doubt. It needs to be dealt with. And if 
one doesn't have good answers. If somebody, you know, asks about something, you don't have a good answer to it, then just be honest. And then, you know, maybe do some research and then come back to them and say, well, you know, Hey, I've, I've read this and, you know, let me, but if you don't have an answer, just get back to them and, and just be candid so that you maintain your credibility with the person as opposed to just, um, saying something or just trying to suppress it. Uh, and, and if one cannot come up with good answers on, on too many things that strike to the heart of one's belief system, then perhaps one's belief system isn't accurate. Yep. That that's fair. I think a point that, that I would make is uh, the, the, the belief of Christianity actually has built into it uh, a certain level of certainty. You read the letters of Paul, for example, where he talks about uh, the confidence in Christ and and the the certainty uh, of salvation. And there is lots of language of certainty peppered throughout Mm -hmm. the New Testament. And I think Christians read that and they take that on board. And I think that is, yeah, I think that is part of what's going on here. And People don't like the doubt because if you've got doubt, it means when you're reading the Bible, you are starting down the road of questioning the the accuracy, the the reliability and the authority of the Bible. And Christians don't like that because you're challenging God himself if you go down that road. So there's I think there is built within the framework of Christianity uh, an aversion to any kind of doubt, which I think creates the problems which... I was talking about and the other thing is the human psyche likes certainty you know we like to know what answers are and so when you combine the human desire for certainty and the the christian aversion to doubt you've got a perfect formula for people to quite frankly make things up when they don't know and i think that is a very dangerous place to be when what you're talking about is beliefs and beliefs that have a major impact on the way people behave. I agree. I agree. Uh, Because anybody who has any sense of reason to them knows that we cannot have a 100% certain answer in terms of what happens to us after we die. Is it all end? Does it not? You know, that, that is, we have to, whichever way we fall, uh, belief in God or not, it requires the, whatever we believe on that point takes faith because we don't have a 100% answer. We don't have anywhere close to one, but we don't, let me just put it this way. We don't have a 100% answer. And one of the things that concerns me when when you were talking about belief and all of that it concerns me when I see people have this rigid mindset of you know thinking that something can be known uh to a 100 percent degree of certainty we we can't prove anything to a 100 percent degree of certainty other than perhaps I think therefore I am I think that a good standard is uh, maybe a beyond reasonable doubt standard. And, and, and you know what, truthfully in life, many times we make decisions based on a far lower 
level of proof than what is required in terms of beyond a reasonable doubt. And so uh, there are certain things, certain questions that science is not equipped to answer. And so for that person that desires, and it's a natural desire to want 100% certainty on something, but, you know, we just can't have it. And so, and, and, and I think it's also a very healthy mindset. I had a philosophy professor in college um, in a philosophy class that I took and uh, the, the subject of religion had come up and I was grappling with the Christian concept of God having existed eternally. And it, I, I, I went to my professor afterwards after class and I said, I, I just, you know, I can't wrap my head around that. It seems like there always has to be a beginning. And he gave me, uh, it was Professor Robert Kane, and he's still alive, at least as of about maybe two years ago. Uh, he gave me some priceless advice. And he said that we have to understand that as humans, our perspective is very limited on things. And there's a whole lot of things that we are just not equipped to understand. And we also don't have access to a lot of information. And so we, we just have to learn to accept that. And, uh, and to me, that was a very, um, a very good answer to that question. I mean, it still didn't answer my question, but I could live with that answer. And, uh, and I think it's a valid one because, um, it's like when people get into questions of whether something is possible or impossible, I always fire back. Well, how can you know something is impossible? You don't have a hundred percent knowledge about everything. You're not omniscient. So how do you know something is not possible? And we just don't. So we, we always have to allow for the um for anything to be possible that doesn't of course mean that anything is probable but you know we just allow for that and so i think sometimes christians can be guilty of a certain rigidity that can later on serve to undermine their faith and belief in god okay i'd like to come back to to the science and uh, the conversation subject and how we know things can be possible and how we can have certain scientific certainty but i want to go stick a little bit back on the the faith thing you said uh, earlier on i think you mentioned you said the phrase the magic phrase blind faith and i think i'd like to see if we can find a definition of what that we can agree on and what what blind faith actually means because um and you, there was something else you said as well, which was not believing God takes just as much faith as believing in God. Because I want to challenge both of those those items. Sure. So, so blind faith. I want to posit a definition of blind faith, and we can see if we can uh, adjust that to a de uh, to a definition that we uh, we agree on. So, I would say blind faith is at its simplest, believing something without any evidence to support it. 
So I would say that blind faith is something like believing that the earth is flat or that the earth is the centre of the solar system with the with the sun orbiting the earth. I would say give those as, as two examples of blind faith because they're both positions that are unsupported by any evidence and anyone who claims evidence for either of these those two positions they're they're stating their position on an incomplete picture of the knowledge that we have they're just picking what suits suits them but there isn't actually anything that that supports them or to take it uh, or to take it to an extreme if i was to say that uh, in my garage downstairs i've got an invisible pink unicorn you know that's that's uh, that's a blind face statement there's no way i could prove that to anybody who who challenged it so i want to give that as as a, as a picture of what i what i understand by blind faith a belief claim which has nothing to support it um and the other thing is about non-belief in god it has just as much faith as belief in god i want to challenge anything it, it doesn't matter whether that's uh, about god or whether it's about about the flat earth you know it, belief and and not believing are 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 not equi- opposite ends of a seesaw they're, they're not equivalent uh positions and i'll step off religion to to illustrate my point let's pick um let's pick the moon landings Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, um, for somebody to say that the moon landings were faked, which of which there are, are quite a lot of people who do that, they have come up with all sorts of. Actually, no, that's not really a, a good example. Um, that that really isn't. A, yeah, let's go with the invisible pink unicorn in the garage because I think that's okay. a much. I think that's a much better example example to you. So I say to you. There's an invisible pink unicorn in my garage downstairs, and uh, I believe that that to be so, regardless of how ridiculous that sounds. I believe that. What your position would well, what be? What do you is, mean? I've got one in my garage too. So. <laughs> <laughs> no, you can't. You, you can't go messing me around like that. <laughs> um, I, I'm I'm going to re- <laughs> going to reject. <laughs> claim because it loses my point then then your claim would be nonsensical because you say you have one Um, (laughs) we digress Uh, yes you're right you do you're just trying to mess with my head (laughs) um so so i make that statement and i say that it, it is my belief and somebody who hears me say that says well actually i i don't believe that you have such a thing their position is not a position of faith, whereas my position is. They're not expressing any faith when they're saying to me, I doubt your your claim. They're, all they're doing is they're exercising critical thinking and they're looking and say they, they can't see anything in my garage. Okay, I did say it was invisible, so, so that would be true. But they have absolutely no information on which they could confirm or base the existence of such a creature on and so their their statement is i have nothing which i can use to verify your claim in any way whatsoever so they're not taking a faith position at all they're just saying 
there is nothing there that I can use to validate your claim. So I doubt it. It's not a faith position. It's just a, a straightforward neutral position of critical thinking, whereas my position would be a, a faith position. And well, I would say the belief in God is is the same. Someone believes in God is a faith position. Me saying, well, actually, I doubt that because I've got no reference point on which to judge it is not a faith position. So I, uh, so I, I completely agree with your definition of blind faith. Now, let's get into the issue of doubt and critical thinking. Those things are not, you know, hard and fast. And so I would, I'd argue, and I believe this to be true as well. I'm not just arguing it for the sake of arguing, although I'm not above that, <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> But when we, when we doubt someone's claim and when we're using our critical thinking skills to doubt someone's claim, we are trusting, we are having faith that our critical thinking skills are going to lead us to a true answer. But we don't know that. 100%. And, you know, with your pink unicorn story, uh, or hypothetical, uh, you being in the UK, I, I don't know whether y'all have exposure to the children's show called Sesame Street. Uh, is that I something? I do. I have had exposure to it. Yeah. Okay. Well, so Mr. Snuffleupagus is, you know, this is kind of the pink unicorn in action except he really did exist on the show. It's just that he always happened to walk away every time Big Bird was trying to get people to like, oh, here he is. And then Mr. Snuffleupagus would leave. And so, uh, yeah, everybody there at uh, Sesame Street had an excellent reason using their critical thinking skills to doubt the veracity of what Big Bird was telling them. But it turned out that Mr. Snuffleupagus on the show really did exist and that Big Bird was telling the truth. It was just uh, timing, bad fortune, whatever. But, but so I, I, I do think that when we doubt, uh, doubt is, is not certainty, otherwise it wouldn't be doubt. It, it's just indicating, well, I don't have enough evidence to cause me to be 100% certain, but we're all in some degree of doubt about just about everything. So it's just, we, we have to, you know, like David Hume would say, uh, let's stack up the evidence and let's go where the, the best evidence and and the strongest evidence leads us to. And so, um, you know, I, I just, that, that's how I see it. I think we're always in a certain degree of, of doubt. Yeah. I think your Sesame Street story is a, is a good uh, counter to that. The point I would make is the, the people who are doubting what Big Bird, Big Bird was saying about the, the Snuffleupagus uh, monster or whatever. <laughs> Snuffleupagus. Um, yeah, him. Snuffy, Snuffy for short. 
yeah, Mr. Snuffy Pants. Right. So <laughs> I think the others, yep, they had justification to to doubt what Big Bird was saying. They, yes. They were wrong. Their 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 doubts and their questioning were wrong. The the key point would be from from my perspective about someone saying that there's a a god is. I'm also saying that, yeah, my doubt isn't certainty. I would absolutely agree with you on that. If someone says to me, God exists, I go, yeah, not so sure, doubt that. I'm not expressing certainty. I'm not expressing a position of, of certainty. I'm simply saying I don't have the information by which to validate what you're saying. Therefore, I cannot accept it. Therefore, my default position is to doubt it. But that also doesn't mean that I'm closed to my mind being changed. So let's have the magic photograph of, you know, of God's big toe. Well, so uh, no, can, can this you know, then and, fall into agnosticism in terms of if we don't know, then, uh, you know, let's just leave it as I don't know, as opposed to falling hard on atheism in terms of there is no evidence or God does not exist. And I know there are some, you know, differences in, in definitions of atheism, but perhaps there agnosticism. Are, there are varieties of, of definitions there, and quite often the, the variety in the definition uh, differs between uh, theists and atheists. Mm -hmm. So I would call myself an agnostic atheist. I okay. can't know that there's a God there agnostic therefore i don't if there is a god atheist well so let me ask you this when we look at the universe and our current state of knowledge indicates that the universe has not existed eternally so we either okay, carry on I'm, I'm going to push back on that point but carry on <laughs> Okay, so with what, you know, seems to be the current state of knowledge, either we've got a, a choice between, you know, there's sort of this Big Bang theory that just where nothing, where from nothing came something or that there was a creator. I'm not, I don't know, and let's not even refer to God as being the creator, just a creator whether it's david's aliens <laughs> or, or you know just you know whatever whoever is the creator um i don't know that there is another choice it's either something came from nothing or some there, there was some sort of an intelligent being or whatever, you know, whatever God is, that spirit, that being. I'm, I'm not one that likes to put real rigid definitions on what God is, because I think God is just so much more, kind of like what Dr. Kane said in that philosophy class of mine. I, I just think that there is so much that we don't know and that we will never know or even if we did know, we wouldn't under, be able to understand. And so I, um, I cede to that uh, notion uh, that there's, you know, 
a, a lot of things that that all of us will remain ignorant about. But you know, the idea that life came from nothing. I, you know, we have no evidence in this earthly world that something can come from nothing. There's always something, and then there, there's always it seems, you know, to be intelligence behind it. Um, okay, huge amounts to to unravel there, and it, it, it is kind of amusing, uh, this is a, a mild personal amusement here, that often mm -hmm. these conversations about the existence of God, they very, very often end up at, at the beginning of the universe, and my my impression of these kinds of conversations is the Christian wanting to to claim evidence for God has no choice but to push the direction of the evidence into an area where we have incomplete knowledge because then in that area of incomplete knowledge a God can be inserted because areas of the world where we have complete knowledge there is no room there is no gap in which to fit a God but where there's incomplete knowledge that gap exists so that's just kind of an, an idle ob observation to throw out there but in in terms of the beginning of the universe and you know, where where it all came from where all our matter to originated from if you want to use that phrase by whence it was created to use another phrase it's yeah we don't know everything uh, about that it it is possible that we might never know everything about that because getting to beyond that uh, that moment of the big bang is immensely difficult possibly even impossible so yeah there is lots to speculate on lots and lots of room for for speculation and so it's only understandable that the idea of a god will come out of that speculation but it by no stretch of the imagination affirms that, that there is a god in the same way that it also doesn't affirm turtles on top of turtles or any other idea that uh, people want to come up with so i think it's also very important to make that point and uh, now you mentioned about eternally existing universe there's a very interesting philosophical quandary to to put into about that because the beginning of our universe sorry let me rephrase that the beginning of the current state of our universe because that tends to be how cosmologists phrase it uh, started with the big bang the big mm -hmm. bang isn't the big bang isn't taken necessarily to be the beginning of the universe from which the universe began it is taken generally to be the beginning of the current state of the universe it may have pre-existed before the big bang in a different form maybe as pure energy is is one example so this whole idea of something coming from nothing possibly isn't even relevant because it was simply the universe changing state from one form into another but one one thing is that is time as we experience it in this universe as it exists now that time began at that point in the big bang so eternally past goes right to the beginning of time which is that that state of the big bang and we can only measure time back to a tiny fraction of a second prior to that and so our understanding and our concept of time 
pretty much disappears at that point. So talking in terms of a temporal state before and after the Big Bang is kind of a nonsense. It's an easy sentence to say, but in terms of the physics and the cosmology that goes on there, it pretty much makes no sense whatsoever because time itself just doesn't exist the same way if it existed at all. And so there is an idea which goes, as soon as you go back to the beginning of time, you're essentially going back eternally. So there's lots of places there and opportunities there for our philosophical understandings of these concepts to match up and pair up with what the science and what the the physics actually says. And yet, certainly nothing is certain at this moment in terms of our understanding there, which means it is pointless making any of certainty. So as soon as somebody refers to the beginning of the universe and the Big Bang and all that kind of thing and says there must be a God because nothing can't come out, because something can't come out of nothing. Well, those are both statements of certainty which are being applied to something about which we have no certainty. I Well, I, I agree with you that, that there is no certainty in that. And I wasn't trying to imply that uh, what I was just trying to say is that in terms of the, uh, you know, the current state of science seems to correlate with that something came from nothing because what I've read. Well, it doesn't, though. That's what I've just said. It, it doesn't correlate with that at all, though. That's what I've just been trying to explain. One of the options is that everything in the universe was existing in a different state prior to the Big Bang. And so not there has nothing has been created because it already existed. It just changed state. So the whole idea of something coming from nothing makes no sense under that idea. I think that it seems like I've um, read where some descriptions of the Big Bang theory, and I'm, I'm sure there must be alternative uh versions of it as well but i've i've read some where they do refer to it as that was the start of it all and so you know in terms of people or scientists that hold to that theory then then yes but uh, but you know i i i i reject the idea that we can know with a hundred percent certainty which way it is you know we just don't know uh we, we just can't have a hundred percent certainty on any of that. So, uh, but for the people who think that uh, certain renditions of the big bang theory uh, obliterate the idea of, of God, I, my point is just that, no, it, it doesn't. A lot of Christians are uh, heartily embracing the big bang theory because it, Science ultimately can only answer questions that deal with the material world. God could have been the one who put the Big Bang into effect. And that's where, uh, you know, that's when you're getting into the supernatural realm. And, and just to think in terms of whether in our experience uh, on Earth, Every time we see intelligence, there is uh, someone intelligent 
behind it that's creating it. It doesn't just, we, we don't see, we don't experience intelligent things coming about just spontaneously through, you know, just randomness. Uh, and so that's just kind of what I'm, You'll have to expand. At. You'll have to expand on what you mean by that. Do you mean a fully formed, intelligent body just yeah, magically just, appearing there, or do you mean humans evolving from uh, bacteria over a course of billions of years? Well, I mean, in terms of evolution and natural selection, I uh, I fully agree with uh, you know that that occurs. But that natural selection doesn't provide an answer to the origin of no, life, no, and um, and or even just the origin of bacteria, and so um, that's kind of what I'm getting at. But uh, but I just my my point overall is that there there's a lot of um, back and forth. You have Nobel Prize winners who are atheists, and you have Nobel Prize winners, you know, in the area of science, who are also Christian. And so you've got people who have brilliant minds, who have found a way to have both belief sets. And the reason why is because science doesn't really contradict atheism or Christianity, because those are belief systems and belief sets and uh, worldviews, and uh, and science is not. And so I that's why you can have uh, the smartest people in the room go either way with regard to atheism or Christianity. And it just depends on what one thinks is the most reasonable explanation for for how life began, how the universe was created, and, and I, I think that's where it boils down to. But uh, you know, and 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 I and to bring this back around to the discussion, one of the other points that you had mentioned on that uh, episode where you were on with, uh, with David and the gang on Skeptics and Seekers, um, you were talking about how uh, religious leaders shouldn't try to, um, to push this, to create this dichotomy between either you're religious or you believe in science, that, that both can, can coexist and neither of them cancel out each other in the least bit. Uh, and so, you know, I think that's important for Christians. And, and, and I'm, you know, well aware that there are plenty of Christians who go to churches that have religious leaders that um, tend to be very anti-science. And I think that's very unfortunate. Uh, I was always brought up to believe um, that, you know, the science answers the question of, of how and the Bible answers the question of why. And those are two completely different questions 
and one doesn't really infringe upon upon the other. Um, I don't uh, entirely agree with with that. Actually, I think mm -hmm. science. I think that very often the how and the why have exactly the same answer. Your the question is just using different words to ask the same thing and the answer is the same thing and I, and I think the the attempt to separate those two into two separate questions saying science belongs to one and the other belongs to to religion is quite disingenuous and I, I feel quite quite strongly about that and one of the main reasons I feel strongly about that is what we we're talking about about before where science has a specific methodology by which you can test and validate claims and so that's how we work out the way things work sure and uh, and these these are these are claims that can be tested validated and that is how knowledge moves on and that is how ideas that we thought were were true 100 years ago uh, are not true now because people answered the best way they could equipment and experiments have got better we've learned new stuff and so those ideas have been superseded by better ideas and ev with every science experiment we do our knowledge bank increases if we find out that something doesn't work that increases our knowledge if we find out something that does work that also increases our knowledge every time we test and, uh, and check something regardless of what the answer is our knowledge bank increases and we get closer to the right answer religion, religion doesn't have that process so when religion tries to make claims and say yeah we've got we've got the why answer and the and the why is god and uh, it's because god loves us etc there is no process and no methodology that i can use to validate any of that so i think to try to uh, to do that is is disingenuous and i think i'll even go so far as to say it is the, the how and why dilemma is, is used to try to give the claims of religion equal validation to to the findings of, of science and i don't think that the the two are equal at all so i i react quite strongly to to that specific uh, suggestion no i with science and uh i i am very pro-science so uh but I do recognize that it has its limitations. And when I give my example, I think that perhaps you will agree with me. For example, I can repeat an experiment 10,000 times. And even David Hume, uh, you know, I think made some sort of a similar uh, example gave some sort of similar example. You can repeat an experiment ten thousand times, yet that doesn't mean that at ten thousand and one something might happen differently. Uh, so we take it on faith. Now, is it rational and reasonable to assume uh, that it's going to still keep doing it? Absolutely, I'm right behind you on that. Um, but does it mean that it's impossible that at 10,001 something different happens? Well, yeah, it can. I mean, we know just from the process of uh, mutations that occur 
you know, normally things work a certain way, but then you just get, get a mutation and then boom, you know? Uh, so I, uh, I, I, we might have to agree to disagree on, on that. I, I do think that, uh, that religion does not in any way uh, interfere with science because science deals with the material world and religion is all about the question of is what's going on in the material world happening by sheer chance and it's is it guided by just some random mindless process or is there some sort of intelligence behind it guiding it and to me those are not questions that that science asks because it, it's it's is there something beyond this world this material world that is guiding the scientific process that's why like when people talk about the god of the gaps that was when, for example, in ancient civilizations, they see, uh, uh, they hear thunder and see lightning and they think, oh, God must have done that. And then later on, we start to understand the process, the earthly process of thunder and lightning. Um, just because we understand the process of something doesn't answer how that came to be in, in, in terms of the larger scheme of things. You know, who created thunder? Did someone create thunder and lightning uh, in terms of the, through, the, through the natural process or did it just randomly happen? And so to me, that's still, it, it, it always will remain an open question that no one can have an answer to with 100% certainty because uh, the God of the gaps is dealing with when you don't have a naturalistic answer for something. And so then you just say, oh, God did it. Mm -hmm. But with, um, with Christianity, it's, it's like God is in, in charge of the whole show and he has put the naturalistic process into effect. So it's like either you believe that God's running the show or not. I think it's a kind of a binary choice for which none of us can possibly ever hope to have a 100% certain answer to. Certainly those of us who are alive now, that's probably true. And uh, all I can do really is re reiterate the, the point that I, I had before. Everything that we do know that we have a certain mm -hmm. level of certainty on in terms of why the how the universe is expanding or even why the universe is expanding, how planets formed, how humanity came to, to evolve. All of these are, are questions that we are very confident on the answers too. We're still trying to work out the details in some cases, but we're pretty confident on on the case in so many of them. And the only reason why we can be confident is because the answers that we've got to have been achieved by the entirely materialistic process using the scientific method. There is mm -hmm. no point in any of those descriptions where we've had to go, huh, 
you know what, we could really do with a god in here to explain this for us, and then suddenly it works. That has never happened in the history of all of our examination of and learning of, of scientific knowledge. So I feel that I really need to reinterpret, re-emphasize the point of when we go back to the to the beginning of the universe and, and how it all, all started, yet we don't know all the answers, which is even more reason not to posit that there's a god because we've got no way of validating or confirming the god claim so it's a pointless claim to make you may as well not make it because it doesn't actually get us anywhere and there's nothing about it that we can test scientifically so it actually achieves nothing in our understanding of how any of this works so you may as well just not bother doing it well okay now you you mentioned science here uh, in a different capacity and I, I I don't think I made a promise to you but I will uh, keep my uh, comments on this short since that's not really the whole subject of this but uh, I will say that we have a reason to posit whether God exists because there's the question of Jesus and was he who he claimed to be and then the issue of the shroud and to me that scientific evidence really undergirds the uh, truth of Christianity and so uh, I I really love and as I'm sure you know uh, very strongly embrace the shroud as something that provides uh, an incredible amount of scientific, hard scientific and forensic evidence, especially when, uh, when put together with history to point to, um, to Jesus being credible in terms of what he was claiming, which then points to a God. But, but one of the things that just um, I had heard uh, a really interesting uh, example given by John Lennox of Oxford, where he was saying uh, or asking the question, OK, we see. A, a, and of course, you being British, you'll love this. You know, here's a tea kettle and we've got water in it and it's boiling you know why is the water boiling and uh people will give all these big scientific answers as to why what causes water to boil and and he said well yes that that is valid that's a valid explanation but another explanation for why the water is boiling is because i wanted a pot of tea and so that's a whole other realm of thinking and both answers are accurate but it, it's a completely different uh dimension in terms of where you're coming at with with the the why is it boiling one is a material explanation and the other is uh something that is immaterial and so that's just why i try to just point to you know the science and the mythology the methodology of science 
I, I, I'm all for that. I, uh, I love it. Uh, it brings wonderful things to us. Uh, medicines, just lots of progress. Uh, I love it. Uh, and I don't find not by any stretch of the imagination that it competes with, uh, my belief in God and, and the greatest scientist Newton, you know, when he discovered gravity, uh, it didn't cause him to have less of a belief in God. It caused him to have a greater admiration for God's brilliance. And so, you know, so many of the, the early scientists were Christians, and it was their belief in the intelligent design of things from a God that helped bring about, I think, sort of the whole scientific method in terms of empiricism. So I, I just don't, I don't think that, that we have to pick science or God, and, and I think that that's such a, a big factor in, I suspect, especially Christians who go to churches that are perhaps the more fundamentalist type where maybe preachers are breathing down their necks like, oh, don't, you know, don't go reading those science books. Don't, don't bring up the word natural selection or evolution. Uh, you know, and then, and then people can't help but see the logic of science. And then they're like, well, gosh, then God must not exist because my preacher told me that I've got to pick one or the other. And, um, the information is so compelling regarding the logic of science. So, you know, I'm out the door and, um, and, and, and actually that, uh, well, I, I don't know if you had a response to that, but that was going to cause me to segue into another question that I had. Okay. Well, okay. Well, let me just pick up some, some of your points then before, yes. before you hit me with that. Yes. Certainly yes. the latter part of what you said, I I agree with you and pre preachers, church leaders, you know, Sunday school teachers, who whoever, there's a cautionary tale about, you know, how they present their their Bible and Christianity to others because what what you said resonates with me, as you're probably already aware. I was brought up to believe as a, as a creationist, to believe in a literal young earth of no more than 10,000 years of, of mankind created especially by God. And it was a greater understanding of science that made me realize that, okay, these things that I was told were, were true uh, aren't. And it, it's a tough emotional place to to find yourself in when when you're faced with that i can imagine i can uh, imagine and so you know, i tried to i genuinely genuinely tried to to rebuild my my christian faith as an acceptor of evolution and and what that meant but the devastating effect that had on what parts of the bible that i could take literally and and what parts couldn't left me with a conundrum of where do I draw the distinction yeah how do I differentiate between bits of the bible which are not meant to be taken literally and bits that are and it's really quite a difficult 
thing to do. And so I was, I, I was out the door and, you know, I've had conversations uh, with people, uh, with Christians on this very subject. And I've quite often met what I find the very frustrating responses. Well, why is it important to investigate those areas and uh, pair it up against uh, Christianity? If if that's if you believe the science, the science says that, and it conflicts with the with the Christianity, and the Christianity is all about God existing and God loving us and us wanting to worship God. Well, that bit about Christianity doesn't need to meet the bit about mankind uh, being evolved. So why do you have to keep bashing them together and, and causing conflict? Just just keep them separate. And that's not satisfactory to me. I can't do that. You know, I my worldview needs to be coherent, needs to be able to work together. And if I'm going to, I so I couldn't live in a Christianity where I had to compartmentalize parts of my Christianity away from my scientific knowledge because if I let them meet they would conflict with each other and that would cause me dissonance. I couldn't live with a Christianity like that and so that was just another way in which I was out the door and intelligent design forms uh, part of that. I just couldn't swallow that either. Well let me ask you this. Um why why does it have to be an either or proposition in terms of either the christianity that you learned through the church or the way that your parents taught it to you um or you read about you know the materials that you read why is it that Christianity either has to be or take that form or, or nothing at all? What about, I mean, you know, the different denominations, there are lots and lots of, of differences that exist. Um, what about taking a look at some of uh, some other interpretations of Christianity where uh, perhaps there's not as much of that tight uh, reading of things in, in the Bible. And it seems like I, uh, I mean, I need to, to research this further, but I, in terms of the young earth creationists, I think it was John Lennox that had written a book I haven't read it uh, but it was it gets all into Genesis and he talks about how there was a gap I think between the creation of the universe and then the creation of all the other things and that that can expand that can explain the age of the earth being you know what science tells us that it is I, but, but he's, he's written a whole book dealing with with that particular question and i'll i'll have to i'm i'm really curious about it and i i definitely want to find out more about his interpretation and i'm i'm certainly not one of those young earthers <laughs> mm -hmm. um but uh you know it but it doesn't have to be either you accept the fundamentalist uh view on things or or nothing at all you're right it doesn't have to be like that the the 
bad news for the creationists though is creationism specifically is generally pushed out as this is the alternative to science because scientists are wrong because in order to have a young earth you need to interpret the data this way this way and and that way and science doesn't so science has to be wrong so certainly from the young earth creationist point of view there is very much that kind of anti-science stance but you're right for many many uh, other Christians evolution the old universe of billions of years really isn't an issue and they have absolutely no problem whatsoever accepting all of those ages the, the fact of evolution and everything else and I'm I'm very very glad that there are Christians that do that but for the reasons that I said before in terms of compartmentalizing my understandings and, and my beliefs there is an, an element of that it's still an, and I couldn't do that I needed something that was coherent and, and worked together and you know, I am confident in evolution because of the evidential process of it I am confident in the age of the universe because of the very specific evidential process of it we have worked out how old the earth is we have worked out how old the universe is and we have worked out how evolution happened by hard work and diligent scientific processes we weren't given this information by external means and then we confirmed it afterwards we worked it out and you know and the knowledge that we've had of those processes has changed over the years as i hinted at earlier mm -hmm. with the claims of christianity it's it d just doesn't work like that it's not something that we've worked out retrospectively and gone oh yeah there must be a god because there's this evidence and this evidence and that evidence it's all ancient documents written down by people who didn't have the scientific knowledge that that we have and it's written down there and it's got all the hallmarks of a, an evolved faith of over generations things being uh, added to it and it arrived at, at that point and now what's happening is Christians are working really really hard to preserve Christianity in this in this bubble the way it has been for the last you know, x thousand years or, or whatever and it's not evolving with new knowledge it's not changing with new knowledge and it's not being confirmed by evidence that we can measure validate confirm and test all the things that we can know confidently through the methodologies of science i explained earlier about age of the earth and universe so christianity doesn't meet those standards and criteria and so when i sat down and i thought okay this is the situation now i can accept the science story because of that but i but when i try to match that same standards of criteria onto what's going on with Christianity and the existence of God and yes even the the life of Jesus it I, I can't have the same confidence uh, in it at all it's like in history books you know the we when we don't have confirmation of what's written in history books we can only make a best guess of what really happened you know details are very vague in a lot of things but Christianity expects us to accept some very specific details which we simply cannot know and so I can't accept it. And so that's kind of in very short form. Obviously, the whole process took years, uh, but that's kind of really how I ended up. And I had no choice but to say, if I can't validate it, I can't accept it. If I can't accept it, I can't call myself a Christian.
But no, with with the the conflict, are you talking about in terms of the age of the Earth? Because no, I, no, I, no, no, I, I, no. I don't mean the age of the Earth conflicts necessarily. What I'm saying is, I know I'm confident in the age of the Earth because of the scientific process that leads up to us understanding how old the Earth is. But I can't when I look at the 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 religious claims of Christianity in terms of uh, the miracles of Jesus in terms of God existing forever in in terms of those those kinds of things mm-hmm. I can't I don't have any process by which I can validate any of it and if I can't validate it how can I know it's true and if I can't know it's true I can't believe it and if I can't believe it I can't be a Christian okay so in terms of um, wanting that scientific process to validate it, uh, why then would the would investigation into the shroud not be uh, an exhilarating thing for you to delve into? Because I can tell you, I've I've. Delved, I first read a book on it when I was 16, and uh, I in the way it came about was I was I was probably around Easter time, and a lot of times back then, you know, either on television there would be something about the shroud, or you go to check out the grocery store, and one of the magazines has a photo of the shroud of Turin on it. And so I saw it and I was like, what's this about? And I got curious about it. And I read Gary Habermas's book on the shroud. And, um, and I just was so fascinated by the science. It, I was already a believer, but I really, truly enjoyed having science to back up my belief and to where you know, like any natural belief, there's always some degree of doubt in any thinking person's head when it comes to something that can't be proven to a high degree of certainty. Um, And so there was that science, Matthew, uh, behind it. And it's exhilarating to see that all of this whole religion stuff it's really not a bunch of bunk. It, 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 when you look at what the historical claims are, we have um, extra, uh, you know, or non-biblical sources showing that Jesus existed. I mean, even Bart Ehrman debates the Jesus mythicists um, and, you know, basically says it's, you know, it's he'd have to be a moron to not believe that Jesus existed historically or otherwise you just can't trust any history. Um, And Jesus made very, very specific claims about himself. And then he made a falsifiable claim saying that if his body was to be destroyed, uh, well, and I think he used the term temple, but that was a metaphor for his body that he would raise it in three days. So then there's the question did he raise it in three days? Is the shroud Jesus? Because if the shroud is Jesus, Jesus's burial cloth, there is evidence, strong, very strong evidence. As you know, I'm a criminal defense attorney. 
And I have said this before, and I'll say it again. I know what it looks like to have evidence beyond a reasonable doubt. And I'm telling you, there is evidence beyond a reasonable doubt in the shroud that Jesus was who he said he was. And there's evidence of the resurrection there. So um, it's beautiful, pure, scientific, and forensic evidence. No voodoo, no magic, none of that. It's, I mean, you have people that are the tops in their field internationally, and and the research still keeps going on to this day. Um, And so I just, for someone for someone like you, uh, and I, I can appreciate that uh, there are a lot of people that need that scientific evidence to to help them uh, believe and to firm up their faith, especially if they initially grew up with, um, you know, in a fundamentalist church to where it was kind of you have to pick science or or religion. And, you know, if they were brought up to have uh, certain types of really rigid, really rigid beliefs, and, uh, and then science starts chipping away at their beliefs. And so then they, they come to the conclusion, well, then all of this God stuff can't be real. Uh, I, I would just really like to encourage you to just trust me. I, I mean, maybe we've talked enough to where you don't think I'm just some religious fanatic because I'm not, I really am not. I just, you know, we all get into debates. And so we then just start presenting our position. And if that, you know, that can sometimes make someone look fanatical, but, uh, but just, if you would just trust me, I, I sent you some of that information in its rough form. Take a look at the hard science from, from people that, were scientists at Los Alamos National Laboratory where, you know, make the nuclear bombs and stuff. These aren't flakes. Um, and, and maybe you will find some of that, that hard science compelling. And, you know, I don't know. I, I know that there are lots of famous people, Anthony Flew, who was, uh, you know, probably one of the biggest voices among atheists uh, while he was alive. And uh, he ended up, you know, intelligent design ended up being what turning what turned him around into abandoning his atheism for uh, belief. I think he became a, uh, a deist, perhaps, as opposed to a theist. I'm not sure. But, um, but you know, if he could do that, I, that's that's why I do have. I I always think that uh, there's there's always hope that something that that atheists might hear might cause them to to just uh, take other information into consideration, and, and maybe that can uh, cause a change of of heart and mind. Um, yeah okay um you know i don't give much time to 
to the shroud so um and we we discussed this uh, a bit i never really took the shroud seriously even when i was a christian so to be honest i don't really see how it could could get me there but that that uh, aside uh, the shroud came up when we had our conversation earlier on skeptics and seekers uh, last year however long ago it was um and you so you know from that uh, exchange that i i really don't have a lot of time for the shroud what i will say is it's an interesting artifact and i absolutely think it should be studied i think it should be studied more i would love to know more about it love to know how it came about to be made i would love scientists to be able to have a, an opportunity to have unfettered access to it for as long as they want to be able to cut it up if necessary and to to measure and to to investigate the the tiniest intricacies of it i have read about it both the four and against arguments of it you know from the invisible mending claims to to the blood types to to all sorts of other things on it and the balance frankly doesn't really impress me i i have to say it's i'm and i'm really unmotivated to to look at it more because standing back and look at it the the strongest proponents of it are people who have a vested interest in it being uh, a a piece of of Jesus, a Christian artifact, and that that in itself creates in me a suspicion. But you no, know, there the, were plenty of Jews. There were several Jews um, on the team, and uh, I think it was Alan Adler that was one of the uh, the lead uh, scientists on the blood evidence. Uh, was Jewish, so he didn't have a vested. No, I'm saying the people who are promoting it. I don't oh, say right. necessarily the people who are on the original Stirp team that oh, looks okay. at it. So the people who are who are promoting it. So mm -hmm. sorry if I wasn't clear. That's okay. that's what I'm that's what I meant sure. by uh, by that phrase. And I am also deeply suspicious of the Catholic Church and its holding of these kinds of of artifacts. Now they've got these. They they make a lot of money out of people becoming saints about their healing center in Lords and, and other such places and about people coming to places to see to see these artifacts so I'm I'm deeply suspicious of the motives before you even get to uh, to the evidence of it and I'll, I'll give you one kind of example of why I'm just suspicious of 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 claims that the shroud has been studied rigorously before it burnt down in Notre Dame Cathedral, they in amongst the artifacts I've got there was an artifact that was claimed to be the crown of thorns that, that mm -hmm. was placed on Jesus' head. To my knowledge, that crown of thorns has not been placed up against the uh, the shroud to see if it even resembles or matches the markings on the shroud that would have come from thorns because we've got the, the the head there and we've got so it's little details like that i think really you want us to believe it but you can't even do simple experimental tests like that you know and so yeah and again you know i really really don't want to talk more about this than uh, than is necessary because i'll 
I will become <laughs> impatient and dismissive <laughs> because I I don't react well to the crowd to to the shroud because it's it, it tends to be talked about enthusiastically and I don't think it warrants the the enthusiasm that is that that, that it takes. You know, if if I may, no, I with the crown of thorns in Notre Dame. Uh, it seems like it's been a while ago that I read this, so forgive me that I don't remember the specifics. But uh, the stuff that I've read about it seems to indicate that it probably it probably is not the crown of thorns. Um, so I have I haven't read anything compelling about that. So just as an FYI. I, yeah, I know I, to agree with you. And there's another Catholic church which has also got one of the original nails from from the cross, and possibly even a piece of wood from the cross. No, there was a time in in history, probably around about the time of the Crusades, but somebody can can fact check the dating on that, where these kind of artifacts made lots of money, and they suddenly mm-hmm, started sure. appearing. And, oh yes. you know, And so why? Can't the shroud just be one of those? Yes, it's quite fantastic. Well, the shroud, and and there have been lots of shrouds floating about, uh, especially during those medieval times uh, when, uh, you know, the real shroud, I would say, uh, first appeared. Uh, Yes, there's no question. You certainly will not get a, um, a dispute from me that there were forgeries. But course just because there are forgeries doesn't mean that there isn't still a shroud and and that that the actual genuine shroud of of Jesus might not still exist and you know when we had gotten to the miracle episode that we were on together uh it's not a god of the gaps argument to say that uh that that the shroud points to a miracle. It it is because we are looking at the material evidence that we have reason to believe, every reason to believe that this is an otherworldly creation. They still can't figure out how it was made. And so it's positive evidence, not negative evidence, that warrants the belief in its being genuine and that it is an actual miracle. But but anyway, I, I know that that's not the subject of um, of this uh, of this episode. And and actually, if I may, uh, there was something that you had said on that skeptics and seeker episode. Uh, I believe it was you that said that. And please correct me if I'm wrong on it. Uh, I thought that you had said something about how eliminating doubts uh, is not necessarily enough and or defeating someone's doubts about God's existence doesn't solve the problem of Christians. And I don't know if you meant leaving the church or leaving or, or, or beginning to disbelieve in God. Um, I remember some conversation about about that phrase, and I think you're probably remembering the phrase accurately. Although I I 
it may have been me I, I can't honestly remember and I, I I'm desperately trying to remember the context uh, in which that was because Paul pulled out the way you phrased it and hearing it hearing it like that it it, it seems an odd phrase to make so there was clearly there was clearly some context around that and you'll have I, to forgive me I, I don't remember the full context I I, I think the context was because I I had just I was taking notes as I was listening to the episode because I was very much so wanting to delve deeper into some of these things. Um, it part of it had to do with just what was going on in the church and abuses in the church and how um, I believe you had been made the statement that uh Let's see, where was it? That basically that abuse in the church is a good reason to walk away. And I don't know if you meant from Christianity or just from that particular church. And so okay. I, I think that maybe those kind of tied in. I, I was wanting a little bit more clarity on that. Okay, yeah, possibly. Um, okay, let me try. Certainly on, on the, the abuse front, my... I think probably what I, if I didn't say it, I, I probably meant it because it's the sort of thing I would say, is that in an environment like a church where where abuse might happen or or in the past has happened, and somebody is is hurt by that, and people have been and people are being, and that's. Mm-hmm part of the reason why I do what I I do because those people need somebody to to speak up for them is that that is a good reason to certainly to leave that church because if you're if you're in an environment and I don't care whether it's a church or whether it's a camera club or or a school or your place of work or whatever if if there is abuse going on in that situation then the most obvious thing is is get out uh, of that situation, and and that in and of itself doesn't doesn't mean that you should then become not a Christian or not a photography enthusiast or mm-hmm. or, or or whatever. Um, but I think the charge that I would make is the the environment of religion enables people who are abusive to take positions of control and power and become abusive and to to trap people into that. And so this isn't so much about protecting people from abuse, but criticizing a, a situation, a, a position, a structure, a hierarchy, which gives absolute authority to individuals and, and enabling them uh, to be uh, abusive and then to go one step further that same hierarchy has in order presumably to save face for itself because the whole point of uh, christianity and the hi- hierarchy within that is to be a better place for society to be a better place for the world you know come here receive uh, your forgiveness receive uh, your salvation you know and be loved by god who has created you that is part of the essence of what it is to be to be a christian and to be a christian leader and it if true it's a wonderfully beautiful thing to to, to gift to mankind 
but the um that whole structure and that whole system not only has enabled uh, abuse but has then actively covered up and protected abusers because it's too embarrassing to to throw those people out and, and to prosecute them because it makes it look just like another corrupt human organization so that's my specific charge uh, at the church and the church really needs to do something about I, that and I'm with some you. parts I'm of with the you. church and some parts of the church are worse at it than others I, I'll, I will quite happily say that. I'm not saying every church in Christianity is like that but I would say that there are enough churches in Christianity that, that are like that that the Christian claims of the transforming power of the Holy Spirit are are doubtful because when you see that much abuse going on in churches you don't see the transforming power of the Holy Spirit at working people so that's a justification as far as I'm concerned to doubt that the Holy Spirit exists and changes people to behave better Okay, so that's well, kind so, of it unpacked. That's in a nutshell. I hope that makes so, sense. Well, and that reminds me of Austin Powers. No, this is me in a nutshell. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, so what about, okay, with the Holy Spirit, because I, 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 and I remember you mentioning something about that, uh, not on the show, but, uh, privately through our emails, the transformative power of the Holy Spirit. Let me, let me pose this question. Perhaps that bad actor does not have the Holy Spirit in them. Perhaps they are a wolf in sheep's clothing, or perhaps they're just like the rest of us Christians, still guilty of vile, sinful behavior. Um, and that's why we are in need of someone to redeem us. Uh, but beyond that, I, I agree with you uh, at your anger at churches where abuse goes on and that abuse is swept under the rug. I, uh, that incenses me one just because it's horrific that they're doing that and two because it uh paints christianity uh as just you know just uh it, in it in a light that it doesn't deserve to be in um it, it reflects poorly upon it and even though Christianity needs to be judged by um, its tenets, it, we as humans can't help but look at people who profess to be Christians and when we see them behaving poorly it makes Christianity not look so great. So I agree with you there and what about the idea instead of leaving the church what about a rebellion against that i mean mutiny what about the people the congregation rising up in the same way that the the christians the anti-abolitionists or the abolitionists were uh 
in America and, you know, we ended up having a civil war over it. To me, there needs to be sort of a civil war situation going on within the Catholic Church to clean house from all of the people that see abuse and just move these priests on to other congregations that don't know about 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 their evil deeds and um you know uh, instead of leaving why not clean house and you know it, it took a civil war to get rid of uh slavery in america and to make things better in that respect and perhaps that also needs to happen in the church because where there is power, we will always see corruption. I mean, we see corruption among people without power, but once you start getting power, then you tend to see even more of it or it goes unchecked. And so, you know, maybe the answer isn't, isn't leaving, but, you know, especially if it's something like sexual abuse, you know, bringing in the authorities when people suspect that's going on. All I know is for example, the state that I live in, in the United States, if anybody has good reason to think that somebody is being sexually abused, like a child or an elderly person, it, it, it's actually a crime to not report it. And, uh, and I think that's a really great law. Uh, now, you, you know, you have to be careful. You know, you better have good reason to think somebody's doing that before, you know, people start <laughs> calling the police. But um, it, it forces, or it doesn't force people, but it encourages people uh, and subjects them to the possibility of criminal charges if they have good reason to think that's going on or they know that that's going on and they stay silent. Because when we stay silent with regards to things like that, we have blood on our hands for the next victim of that perpetrator. And so I think it's incumbent upon all of us when we, when we see that sort of thing going on that we, uh, we do our best to, to fight it. I, I completely agree, agree with you there. I'll just give you a quick anecdote from my past about 20 years or so ago. I was, I used to do a lot of, youth work at uh, a regular summer camp and as one of our roles as a leader on that summer camp is there were a small number of of the young people on there that you know we would be responsible for so if they had an issue you know be it a spiritual issue or or, or in, in a problem at camp or something like that they would come to us and if it needed feeding up the uh, the leadership chain it would be our responsibility to to see that that was dealt with and we we're also encouraged that during the course of the week we would have a one-on-one -on -one chat with those uh, those young people who were our responsibility say about an hour maybe an hour and a half whatever it just see how they were spiritually you know any issues you know how they were at home and just to kind of an, a, not really an assessment of them but you know just a just a one-to-one -one, uh, with them even counseling light i suppose but we weren't trained at counseling but one thing that was absolutely made clear to us when uh, when we were leaders 
happened at the beginning of the camp and when we were talking with these children that you know if they told us something it, it was in confidence we shouldn't break the confidence but if they revealed anything to us that that came under the category of abuse we were under absolutely no uncertainty that this had to be reported and if they started telling us something like that we would have to stop them and say if you carry on telling me about that say have to stop them and say this is abuse i am obligated to report this yeah you cannot ask me not to tell anybody about this i have to by law go to the leadership and tell them what you've told them so if you want to tell me this know that i have no choice but to go on uh, and, well, and that's, such bad that's such a bad policy in the sense that you shouldn't have to tell the person that you're about to you know report on it because then that that's a chilling effect on the person continuing on telling you that you should i, I agree with the part about reporting it but uh, that whoever created the idea or uh, the policy that you need to inform the person that's spilling the beans because uh, that's just going to shut them up. So possibly it would shut them up, but it's. I would. I think it's because if you're going to report something on, you you need to let the party know that it is being re reported on. You you can't not because if you report it on without telling them, then they lose trust in you. So regardless of what happens next, there is there is some some negative side effect either they they lose trust in you or they become slightly demotivated in, in telling it to but, but you know if they've come to a point where they're considering telling you or starting to tell you anyway and then you say i i need to report this up they already know that they're with somebody who's in safe hands so i i understand your concerns i i still support that policy because i think on balance it's it's better to to tell on but that's that wasn't really the point of this anecdote the point of this anecdote is 20 years ago it was being drummed into me and other people uh, and christian youth leaders around this country that anything that sounds like abuse that a young person tells you must absolutely in all circumstances no exceptions be reported on because it cannot be covered up and it must be dealt with so that's mm -hmm. that that's that's the point of of the story which i'm which i'm trying to say so in terms of churches where abuse has been covered up uh, people moved so that the the, the rumors uh, uh, no longer exist and and all this kind of thing just to cross this kind of revealing of, of horrendous acts but it's kind of a question to you to really to get your what are the sanctions that should be made on a on a church that should the individual church congregation be disbanded should the church hierarchy have some kind of tougher punishment you know if you were in government and and had the power to to punish a, a church for for allowing this kind of abuse is it good enough for the guilty parties to to go to prison should those who were responsible for covering up are they guilty of a greater crime should they have more time oh, yeah. in jail oh yeah you know, i'd should... know every last one of the people that knew uh especially people in authority but honestly even you know like i said with the state law that we have adults that know and do nothing 
punish all of them, all of them, because it, it is wrong to be aware that somebody either is actively being abused or has been abused and that their abuser has not been brought to justice because that abuser is just going to keep making more victims. And that is uh, a little bit of a side issue, but it's still connected. For example, for people who have been raped, uh, as difficult as that I'm sure is to come forward about it, especially if they're concerned about possibly not being believed. Um, there is a moral responsibility to that rape victim to report because the likelihood is, is that rapist is going to do that to someone else. And there is, uh, you know, and I... I hesitate to even say this just because I don't want to pile on to rape victims who haven't come forward, but, and that's not my intent, but the reality is, is that rapists don't usually, it's not usually a one and done thing. And so when they, when they go on raping, you know, if somebody had blown the whistle on them, then perhaps all these other rape victims would have never been victimized. So uh, sometimes life puts us in these difficult positions where, yes, is it going to be painful? Is it difficult? Sure, it, it is. And I, I, and I don't mean that lightly. I mean, I can, I can only uh, attempt to imagine how hard that would be. And I don't really have to imagine that hard. I, you know, I'm a criminal defense attorney. I see that sort of stuff. Uh, I know that it's hard, but, uh, sometimes we have to do things that are difficult. Uh, was it, was it difficult for Germans in Nazi Germany to risk their lives hiding Jews in their home? Sure it was. And they were risking not only their own lives, but the lives of you know, if they had children in that home, they were putting their own children's lives at risk. Uh, sometimes doing the right thing can be really hard to do, but we have mm-hmm. to do it. And uh, so it, in, in terms of with abuse in the church, whenever we see it or even get a sense that that's going on, uh, it it has to be dealt with and not just internally. I mean, that's a matter of the state. And it, speaking of which, uh, my son is uh, part of a, a choir and they recently started having some of the, the little practice sessions at a church. Uh, we're not parishioners at that church, but uh, a very interesting thing. And I was thinking to myself, bravo. Um, they have a policy that anytime kids are present, there always has to be several, you know, more than one adult in a room if there's going to be, you know, a child present. And I think that's a great idea, a great policy. And to also press, you know, impress children uh, with the knowledge that, hey, you know, don't ever be in 
a room with an adult, uh, you know, at church or uh, and probably other places too by yourself because, you know, you, you could be, you know, maybe impress upon a kid, like you'd be breaking the church rules and you don't want to break the rules or, hmm. uh, or, or that adult is breaking the rules. So you don't want to, you know, even if let's say it's a good adult, that's not trying to do something bad, you know, well, Hey, you don't want to get that adult in trouble by, you know, being in that room with them by themselves. So just be <laughs> sure you are never, you know, in a room. And you know, I was like, well, you know, that's a, that's a fantastic idea. Yeah. And it's such a basic idea. I don't know mm. why every, every church doesn't do that, but you know, of what business anyway, does uh, somebody at church uh, need to be in a room alone with the kid? You know, where are the parents? At home enjoying a uh, game of Thrones or, or whatever. <laughs> yeah, I just, As someone who has a teenager at home, you know, when there are times when they're out of the house with friends or whatever it is they're with, and it's nice for the grown-ups to to be at home without without the brats being around. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, My my son's uh, about to turn 12, so almost a teenager. Um, but you know, the joyous the, years of Aunt McSpack <laughs> and girlfriends and uh, all sorts. Yeah, it, it, so it's like you know, just with with, but especially with these, you know, usually teenagers have a little bit more of their wits about them. I think it's it's these younger children that concern me in terms of being in a room with. Um, you know, anybody who's in a position of power, and, and we see this in politics, too, uh, and in the workplace. So uh, it, it's, a, it's a sticky situation, but it's, it's one that people shouldn't turn a blind eye to. Um, I, I was going to ask you, uh, when we talk about, you had mentioned something about the Christians who don't care about other Christians who leave the church. And uh, I, I guess you were seeing evidence of, of this, I presume, or I mean, I guess so, I, I would imagine. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know how many of them truly exist. I suspect there's not a huge number. And they tend to be, I would say, that the more fundamentalist wing of uh, Christianity tend to be like that. You know, If they're not Calvinists, they're certainly relatively close to that, that branch of, of Christianity. Certainly most, most Christians, and certainly the Christians that I know personally, when I've said to them, you know, especially those that knew me when I was a Christian, you know, they're, they're disappointed. You know, the, the most common response I get from, uh, from Christians now say caring Christians when uh, I say I'm no longer a Christian, I don't believe anymore. You know, they'll say, I'm, I'm sorry. You know, that, 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 that saddens me. I, I'm, I'm genuinely sorry to, to hear that. You know, there's a, there is definitely a compassion that, that, that comes across, but there are some who, who are not like that and i think i gave the example in in the conversation uh, that, that i had with the guys last week on skeptics and seekers where 
on the unbelievable Facebook page where Justin or whoever it was posted the link to uh, the story that Rhett and Link, the, the YouTubers, had, had talked about their their deconversion. And uh, somebody who fits the description of what I was describing said, well, sometimes it's better just to shut the door behind them. So that kind of attitude does come, does come across. And the other kind of attitude that I get, and you'll be amazed how often I see this, but it is always online. I've never had a single person say it to my face. Is we the can't have been real Christians uh, to begin with, and you get there's no sense of compassion that comes out of, of statements like that. It is instant judgment and zero compassion, and so that that bothers me because uh, again, going back to what I said earlier about you know the alleged transforming power of the Holy Spirit. Well, you just don't see it in that kind of response from Christians. Right. And, and you know, I, I don't know that I would ever think that, oh, well, they just weren't real Christians. I think that worst case scenario, perhaps in some, not in all, perhaps the roots weren't as deep um, but I can see, I mean, having interacted now for a number of months with, uh, with atheists, uh, there are a lot of very strong arguments that they bring up. And so I could see how someone, uh, could listen to those arguments and then that really shake their faith and my only response to that is that if you continue to dig you will find at minimum at minimum arguments that are just as potent in the opposite direction and in my opinion a lot of times even better but you have to be willing to dig. And by, and by that, I'm not trying to say that Christians who have left the faith and become atheists, that they haven't done their homework or whatever. I'm just saying that there is information out there. You know, Ehrman, uh, I would say, is probably uh, the biggest ringleader in terms of trying to do damage to... Um, to people's faith. And the interesting thing is he, he are, he kind of argues out of both sides of his mouth. Actually one minute he says that uh, he said that um, the inconsistencies that he sees in the Bible were not the reason why he left the church, that it was over the issue of suffering. But then he'll say other times where it seems pretty clear that the inconsistencies did play into it. So I'm not sure what, what the correct answer is. Maybe it's a little bit of both, but um, I, in listening to a debate with him and uh, James R. White, I thought that uh, it, it, and it took somebody like James R. White, who has the same type of credentials like in textual criticism as Ehrman does in order to really be on the same playing field. I mean, 
sometimes Ehrman would would debate with other people who were big in Christianity in terms of being big scholars, but they're they're not textual critics. And so Ehrman was uh, kind of getting them on the ropes at times. But when Ehrman went up against somebody with the same type of credentials, um, it I felt that it was a lot of times leaning a little bit more towards the, the Christian. But at best, it was like an, you know, uh, a tie, but I kind of felt like it weighted a little bit more uh, in favor of the Christian. But, uh, but you know, I, I think that, that preachers, uh, especially if they feel that they have um, members of their congregation who are looking at some of the more sophisticated arguments against Christianity, you know, maybe the, these, these preachers do need to... Um, get up to speed on the things that Ehrman and, and company uh, tend to espouse. Yeah, I'm, I don't have a lot of time for arguments and, and specifically debates. And the reason why is there's a wonderful mantra and I'm not the only person who, who uses it. Uh, but there's a wonderful mantra that goes, arguments are not evidence. And that's basically where I live on, on that one. Yep, there are people out there who make wonderful, wonderful arguments, both for and against Christianity. And there are people who become utterly convinced by those arguments. And me, I'm... I'm a facts man, you mm -hmm. know, give me something I can touch, feel, measure, handle, fondle, you know, mm -hmm. I don't care how great, how beautiful, how succinct, how long, how convincing anybody's argument is. I don't even care who they are. All I want to know is what have they got that supports that argument that I can validate? I agree it with you. I, and if they haven't, with you. yeah, good. And if they haven't got anything, then why should I pay any attention to the argument, no matter how how good it is? So that's that's basically the position that that I take uh, on that. So I I don't give a lot of time for arguments, and I certainly have very little interest in, in debates either. I've I've had these kinds of conversations with someone, and people have said to me, "Oh, go and watch such and such a." where William Lane Craig was talking with so-and-so and you know for the reasons that I've just said I go <laughs> why why should I what's the point you know you know what's the evidence or I'll make a comment on someone's post and they'll say well did you watch the video and I'll say well what evidence is there that's presented that that I can can measure and validate you know because if there isn't why do I need to watch the video? Well, so, in terms of like the evidence, in, in terms of, for example, uh, especially if one holds to um, the inerrancy of the Bible, if one sees contradictions, then it's like, oh gosh, so this is all baloney? And so it, by having a debate over that, it, it helps to clarify things because I mean, some things aren't, uh, for example, we can't judge 
history by science. It, it's just a, a a different area, and uh, you know we have to look at a different type of of evidence and understand in terms of like, well, uh, and I agree with you. I'm not, I'm not going to dispute in terms of if you're going to believe in a worldview, uh, especially a worldview that impacts your behavior, that you want some evidence for it and you want some really good evidence for it, especially yep. if, it, if it impacts your behavior in a big way. And, um, you know, for example, if, if someone is gay, well, gosh, you know, then the evidence for it really, really matters. Mm -hmm. And, and I don't fault, um, I don't fault them for saying, you know, Hey, before I even consider whether I'm going to have a change in lifestyle, show me the evidence and, and let me weigh it. And it, and then there's also the the argument uh, well, you know homosexuality is is just part of a laundry list of a bunch of other with a bunch of other sins with adultery, with uh, coveting things, uh, with gossiping, with theft. I mean, I don't. I know that people seem to want to constantly elevate homosexuality and sort of isolate it as just this extra big sin. Well, there are a lot of big sins and, and you don't have to be gay to be committing them. And, uh, and, and, you know, there's the question of did the, did the writers of the different books in the Bible, how much did the culture that they were in play into what they were writing? I mean, I, I trust that the, the books in the Bible are the inspired word of God. Uh, whether I will call them inerrant, I don't know. You know what? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say I'm agnostic. On that point, I don't know how pinpoint accurate every single little thing in the Bible is. I know that there are lots of books that didn't make it into the Bible because they weren't viewed as being credible enough to warrant being put into this compilation that we call the Bible. So I'm not going to say that I trust it 100%. And you had brought up in that Skeptics and Seeker episode in terms of how the church deals with homosexuals. And I'll tell you, I have no respect for any church that, um, that does anything to treat homosexuals or anybody else badly. And part of what tolerance is all about is you don't have to agree with something in order to still love somebody and care about them. And, and I don't think one of the things that I have seen people do, friends of mine, I, I mean, I, we see it in daily life where someone will 
alter their worldview in order to conform with their desires, in order to affirm their desires. So, for example, you know, to throw in another hot, you know, incendiary topic, abortion. You know, a woman gets, uh, a woman has been, let's say, pro-life all of her life. She finds herself unexpectedly pregnant, and all of a sudden, she's pro-choice, you know, just because she wants to be able to uh, justify having an abortion. And sometimes we need to be adult enough, courageous enough, intellectually honest enough to be able to admit that sometimes we are going to choose to do something that isn't what we really think is the right thing to do, but we're still going to do it anyway and just, you know, let the chips fall where they may. And, um, I mean, look at all the people that engage in premarital sex and that are still going to church and all that. Well, you know, that's right up there. That's in the same category as being a homosexual, but people don't focus on that. And I think that's wrong. Um, you know, to single out homosexuals, uh, we all we all fall short in one way or another. And uh, what we have to do, what we are commanded to do, is 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 to love each other, to to care about each other. And uh, that doesn't mean we have to affirm everybody's behavior if we don't think that that's what, you know, God wants us to do, or if we just on a personal level, just don't agree with what somebody's doing. But that doesn't mean we should treat them badly. So I I just wanted to kind of give my, my two cents on, on that, because I know that, that, uh, from what you were saying, that it, it bothered you as it bothers me when you see people of the LGBTQ community, being treated poorly by the church. Yeah, yeah, it does. And we've just rolled over two hours and you've managed to touch probably the two biggest hot button topics in in Christianity. So, but yeah, time time's moving on. So I, I won't touch those, those topics. Uh, it's mm-hmm. probably quite easy to guess how I feel about uh, homosexuality and uh, uh, abortion. But yeah, I'm I'm not going to propose we go there. I just have one question for you before we hit into the roundup, and that that question is about the whole um, thing about pe- these people were were never really a, a Christian. If we were in a scenario where somebody was throwing that accusation at me, would you come to my defence? I would. Thank you. That was nice and easy. No, I mean I. I um I don't doubt that you believed. I Mel, I might rile you up a little bit right now. Uh, <laughs> I still have to wonder if there is still some belief in you, and if perhaps some of the things that were going on with the church, if maybe there is sometimes a difference between being anti-church versus disbelieving in God and that sometimes that can really look like the same thing. 
And I don't know that there's anything that you can do to convince me to where I'm just like dead certain. I think that there's, let's just put it, a reasonable chance that there still might be something in you that uh, acknowledges a God. I, I might be wrong. I just, I, I, I do believe that you are a believer and I still think there's the possibility that there is still more than a kernel of that still within you. And maybe that kernel can turn into something else. I might, some, I might be wrong. I might be wrong. But I, I hope. And if Anthony Flew could change, then hope springs <laughs> eternal. Fair enough. I'm fairly sure that that you're wrong but I, I won't say won't say never but it, it, it needs to be something better than, than than a fancy argument thank you teddy this has been a pleasant conversation of all the interactions that we've had both uh, by voice and by by typing this has been been the most pleasant so absolutely so thank thank you for that Dear listeners, I hope you've enjoyed this conversation as much as we've had. If you were hoping for fireworks, I'm sorry to <laughs> disappoint you. If there's anything from this conversation, especially the last couple of minutes, by all means, get in touch. Let's carry on these conversations because my position is that Christians need to engage exes. They need to engage those like me who have deconverted. They need to understand their place and where, where we fit in into the, the story of Christianity and religion. Thank you again, Teddy. And Thank you. And it was great talking with you. Thank you. You have been listening to a podcast by Reason Press. To get in touch, email reasonpress at gmail.com or see our website, reasonpress.net, where you'll also find our book, Still Unbelievable. We welcome more feedback, and you might even end up on an episode. Our theme music was written for us by Holly. You can hear more of her music at soundcloud.com slash hollybishop. You can support us by buying some of Holly's music and telling her we sent you.